Step 12 asks us to practice these principles in all our affairs. This has led me to a new insight on how Step 1 is active in my life today. Welcome to Episode 265 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Elsie, Debbie, Laurel, and Mary. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Elsie, Debbie, Laurel, and Mary, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Inspiration for today's episode came from a step one meeting that I was at last week. We were reading step one from the book Paths to Recovery. I had recently returned from visiting my parents, who, as I have said before, are in a phase of dementia. And we're reading step one, and I realized that as we're reading it, I realized that if I replace the word alcoholism, alcohol, with dementia, that step one was speaking to my life right in that moment. So I'll read some excerpts here and talk about them. The first word of the first step illustrates an important concept in Al-Anon recovery. We are not alone. In our early meetings, we realized this is true. As the Al-Anon suggested, welcome says, we who live or have lived with the problem of substituting. Dementia, understand, as perhaps few others can. We, too, were lonely and frustrated, but in Al-Anon we discovered that no situation is really hopeless, and that it is possible for us to find contentment and even happiness, whether our loved one is living with dementia or not. Just hearing those words may help us to feel that there is hope for us, too. Okay, so our welcome doesn't actually say that, but what I have found is that I have shared about my situation, I've shared about my parents' situation in meetings and how the program has helped me to to deal with it, to live with it, to to find my own serenity, um, to enjoy time with them. And there are always other people in the meeting who are in or have been in a similar place, and we are able to share our experience, strength, and hope, and thus find some measure of serenity and maybe even happiness. Yeah, even happiness at times. We are sure that there must be something we can say or do that will con- convince the alcoholic to stop drinking, that will convince the demented person to, I don't know, you know. It, it's like I try to say, try to bring memory out, try to bring out understanding of, of the current situation. And the really frustrating thing, I think, is that it, it happens for a moment. Oh, okay, I understand. So my mother was in a rehab facility, as I've mentioned. My mother was in a rehab facility after having broken her leg, and she had to do physical therapy, occupational therapy, to be able to to walk, to get in and out of the wheelchair, to get onto the toilet, etc. A lot of the time she didn't remember, she didn't understand why she was there. And that was really frustrating for me. <laughs> okay. I'm, and it, of course, it was extremely frustrating for her. Why am I here? Why are these people doing these things to me? Well, you broke your leg and you have to heal and they're helping you heal. Oh, okay. 
Why am I here? Why are these people doing these things to me? We're convinced there must be something we can say or do to reduce the pain, the confusion, the frustration of our loved one. Of course, the the thing is, it works for a little while, so then we try again and again and again and again. We have no idea that we are, as, from reading from the book again, we have no idea that we are as powerless over dementia as the affected person is. <sighs> yeah, maybe. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I know I can't cure it. I know I can't do very much to stop its progress. Maybe nothing. See, there I am again. But I don't want that to be true. I want there to be something I can do. Those little bits of hope, of course, tell me, like, yeah, 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 there's something you can do. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Take them for what they are. Enjoy them for what they are. But don't think that means my mother, my father are going to miraculously recover their memory, miraculously recover their, you know, joy in life that they used to have. I don't know. That's not quite the right way to put it, but from the book, we may have hidden our feelings, isolated and avoided contact with our loved one, thinking our problems would go away. And that is something that I have to sort of consciously mitigate against, consciously not do, because it is painful to see how they are now, to see that they are not the people that, you know, I can't, I can't be with them in the same way that I used to be able to be with them. And so, yeah, I may want to avoid contact. I may want to isolate. But I know that if I do that, when they, when they finally leave, when they die, or when they sink so deep into dementia they don't even know who I am, that if I have isolated, if I have avoided contact, that's going to be more painful for me, I think, than being with them now. And learning to be with them now and learning to have serenity have joy in the moments just for today when I'm with them. Well, I'm only into like the fourth paragraph or something. Okay. The next paragraph talks about how alcoholism is disease. And I, I believe that dementia is a disease. I think that one's pretty well established, but here we go. Alcoholism, dementia, not only exists inside the body of the person, but is a disease of relationships. Many of the symptoms of dementia are in the behavior of the person who has it. The people who are involved with them react to their behavior. They try to control it, make up for it, or hide it. They often blame themselves for it. You know, we wonder, we saw signs. If we had, if we had pushed for them to try to do something about it sooner, would it have made a difference? Would, they, would it have slowed the progress of the disease? These are questions we could, that are really not helpful to ask ourselves. And the behavior, oh my God, I am so, I am reminded of the behavior that my loved one exhibited when she was in her active alcoholism, the lack of linearity in conversation, the forgetting, the repetition, the anger. And I'm still somewhat triggered by it, I think. There's so many parallels in the behavior and not, um, you know, wanting to do something you can't do, trying to do something you can't do, uh, insisting on doing something that you really shouldn't be doing. Those are all there. Those were there. In 
Al-Anon meetings, we hear the three C's describing our powerlessness over dementia. We didn't cause it, can't cure it, and can't control it. We begin to learn the basic Al-Anon premise of taking our focus off our loved one and keeping the focus on ourselves. Hard as it is to look at our own part in our problems, acceptance of step one brings relief from impossible responsibilities. We were trying to fix a disease and someone else's disease at that. Yeah, I want to fix it. I want to make them understand. I want to make their life better. Um, I can't cure it. I can't control it. I, and I didn't cause it. That one's, that one's pretty easy. So what is my part? My part is to be there to not actually try to, not to not expect that they can do things that they can no longer do. To not expect them to remember what I told them five minutes, a half an hour ago, yesterday. To not get frustrated, to not get snippy when they ask the same question again and again. Because if I just react to what's going on, if I just fall into my feelings, that is what I will do. And that would be my part in a problem because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help to yell at an alcoholic. It doesn't help to yell at somebody with dementia. Oh my God. <sighs> when we are focused on another person's dementia and behavior, many of us develop the habit of putting that person's needs first. We may suffer from low self-esteem and not believe that we deserve to take time for ourselves. And that's something else that's true. I was, when I was visiting and you know, I go for three days, right? And, and that's hard. And my sister lives nearby and spends a lot more time and that's got to be harder for her. My brother lives with them and I'm sure it's, it's much harder for him. Um, so learning to take time for ourselves, managing our schedules, finding help, asking for help so that we can take time for ourselves, I think is essential because this thing's not going to go away. Well, I mean, eventually it will go away, but not in a way that, that we want it to go away. And if we're in it for the long haul, if we're we're in this marathon, sprinting all the time is just going to wear us out, is going to drag us down, and then we won't be able to be there in the way that we need to be there. So asking for help, taking care, for, care of ourselves is essential in this journey. Let's see. In Al-Anon, we come to understand that our lives may be unmanageable because we are trying to control the people and situations in our lives. Yep. I don't think I need to say much more there. To recover, we have to learn to keep the focus on ourselves. Yes. Let's see. By letting go of the illusion of control over other people, their actions, and their dementia, we find an enormous burden is lifted, and we begin to discover the freedom and the power we do to possess the power to define and live our own lives. Elanon helps us learn new ways to have healthy relationships in all areas of our lives. Step one reminds us of our proper relationship with others. We are powerless over them. It places us in correct relationship with ourselves. When we try to control others, we lose the ability to manage our own lives. And that's, that's where I am right now. Um, you know, learning, remembering that, no, I cannot change them. I cannot change their disease. But I can take care of myself. I can use the principles of this program to be able to be in relationship, to be of support. Yesterday, I was at a, a presentation, and the woman giving the presentation said this gem that apparently came from Anne Lamott, that helping is the sunny side of controlling. 
And I know we talk in our meetings, I talk in my meetings about quotes, helping, by which I mean trying to get the person to do what I want them to do, or by injecting myself into a situation where I haven't been asked for help, uh, you know, because I think I know what's right and I want to control the situation. Alanon has helped me to understand the difference between that kind of helping and being supportive. And I hope that I'm able to do that in my relationship with my parents as their disease follows its course. Well, that's what I've got for today. I, uh, man, there's a bunch of songs out there about dementia. Huh? Go figure. So the, the first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 265, is by Proto Martyr. It's titled Ellen. And as I understand it, this is a song about, I think, the singer's, or at least the songwriter's mother, as, you know, she's going into the, the end of her life and, and is affected by her disease, which I believe is, is dementia. I, I remember hearing about this song, and, and it's a little fuzzy in my head right now. I couldn't find the interview again. Lyrics here. Beneath the shade, I will wait for Ellen. Though I have gone before, I will wait for Ellen. I'll pass the time with our memories for Ellen. I took them on ahead. I kept them safe for Ellen. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives and recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives recently. It's been several weeks since I've done this because of travel and so on. And then last week, when I really intended to do a show, I was uh, I was not feeling well, and plus I was really busy, and it just didn't happen. I apologize for that. But so um, talked about visiting my parents, uh, about the the challenge, some of the challenges there, but also you know there were there were joys, spending time remembering some old things. We read some poems, we read some stories together, and. And one of them prompted a, a conversation like we used to have. That was, you know, and that's the thing. Every now and then, like a bit of the old, the person who used to be there pops out and you're like, yay. Uh, it was beautiful weather. We spent time out in the courtyard at the rehab center where there were three ducks that had been born there and were sort of teenage ducks. They were learning to fly and apparently eventually they'll fly away, we think. But it was, it was fun to just, and, and very actually soothing to just sit there and watch them as they looked for food, as they paddled around in the little pond, as they groomed themselves, as they played together. Very, very joyful. And sitting out in the in the warm sun on a cool day was great. The weekend before, I had gone to a retreat. Men at my church hold a retreat once a year, and we gather together. We gather in small groups to sort of explore the topic of the retreat. Um, For example, last year the topic was music, and so our explorations involved talking about how music might have been important in our lives. We played some songs and said, what do these songs say to you? Um, that 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 was good. But also then there are gatherings of the whole retreat. There were, I think, about 50, 50 or so men there. So we gathered together for meals. We gathered together for conversation games singing around campfire in the in the in the night and there are some workshops where some range in topic i took i i participated in two because there were two slots and i had to pick two Uh, the first one i went to was about meditation it was about uh, forms of meditation that are different from the mindfulness meditation we did 
we practiced a, uh, what's it called? Um, loving kindness meditation, which basically has um, a mantra. And I think there was a, there was a guided, it was a guided meditation and we talk, you know, it's about how to have loving kindness for yourself, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your enemies. We were asked to focus on a person we were having difficulty with. And then the meditation took us through sending love and kindness and wellness to that person. And I think the aim of the meditation, of course, is not for that person to get well, although that would be great if that happened. But I mean, not that they're maybe not well, but uh, for us to see that person in, you know, in the love of our higher power, to be able to, to feel what it is to have some unconditional love for somebody that we're having problems with. We did that in the uh, in the campfire area, so outside, I lay down on a bench as I was meditating. That was a that was a good workshop. And the second one I took was completely different. Uh, one guy was doing a workshop on how to prepare a three course gourmet meal in thirty minutes with a hot plate, actually two hot plates, and that was a lot of fun. And of course, we got to eat got to eat the results at the end. Um, went for a nature walk with a fellow who's a naturalist that works for the the city, and he talked about the native plants, what the area would have been like 5,000 years ago, a thousand years ago when white men came to the country and, and how they described it and why it was like that and what it's like now. Um, and that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, learned some stuff, uh, new appreciation of, of just, you know, walking in the woods, you walk in the woods, hey, there's trees, there's plants. Oh, watch out for the poison ivy, you know, not really seeing what's there. And he sees what's there. And that's, that is really neat to, you know, get, get somebody's view on something where they see it much more deeply than I do. And maybe get, just get a little bit of it for myself. That's, that's wonderful. The topic of the retreat, the focus of the retreat was um, sort of the question, what does it mean to be a man, a man of faith in 2018 when there's so much going on that is negative about masculinity, about maleness and to, Explore what are the positive aspects of masculinity and how do we see those in ourselves? And man, there was some deep, deep conversation. There was laughter. There was frustration, confusion. There was sadness and crying. It was a very powerful weekend. I'm glad I did it. Kathy sent in a share on last week's topic of step three. Hi, everyone. This is Kathy H. from California calling in to share on step three. I've been in Al-Anon for about a year and a half, and for many months after I started and got a sponsor, I was really scared of step three. And when that was brought up in meetings, I would say, I'm not there yet. I'm scared of that. I finally got to the point where I've done a lot of yoga over the years, and really that was kind of my best example of a positive spiritual experience or kind of state. So I've gotten to the point where I call my higher power universe God, and like that's how I, that's how I say my prayers. And that helps me kind of look at, anyways, it helps me to frame that meaning away from other confusing things that I've had in my life. So I wanted to share a story about step three. When I was towards the end of going through my step with my sponsor, I had the situation where I ran into a previous therapist 
in an Al-Anon meeting and in that, and that particular person had given me advice at that time in my life that I had, I took issue with and I did not agree with. And I still think it was a bad comment. And, and when I saw that person, it brought up all those feelings. And it was for about a week, I was feeling like that person could have helped me overcome all these issues. It was early in my marriage and I was trying to figure it out and they did not provide tools that would help me in a positive way for this particular situation. And I was just so disgusted with the direction and it was there with my husband sitting there. She basically said, I need to be quiet and do what he says. And it turns out that I was in an emotionally abusive and domestic violence was involved in it. So clearly there were issues, but anyway, so neither here nor there, but it was, I was at this point where I saw her and I really wanted to say something to her. You know, it was like a few days before the the second meeting where this person would have been there. And I talked to my sponsor about it and she was asking me, what's your motive? And at the end of that discussion, she said to me, you know, just remember you have to go through the fire to get to the other side. You know, I was frustrated and had a lot of kind of complicated feelings about it. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. All right. I'll, I'll try to think about that and keep that in mind. And okay. So then our conversation ended. So then I went to church a few days later and before I would have, would have seen this person. And the pastor said, you have to go through the fire to get to the other side. I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And then one day later, I was listening to one of the podcasts on um, the recovery show. And the podcast like switched to a different one that I, because I hadn't finished listening to the one that I was already in the middle of. And it switched to a different one when I was driving. And then within like just a couple minutes, it said again, you have to go through the fire to get to the other side. And I was just like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> At that point, okay, I get it. Higher power. All right. Thanks for smacking me over the head with the, with the, with the news and the, and the message. Okay. I get, I'm going to hand this over. I'm not going to say anything to that person. I'm just going to accept that that's, that I had to go through that path and that, you know, there's no point in having resentments or trying to blame somebody for stuff and each person's doing their best. So that's kind of my funny story for that was really like the icing on the cake of like, okay, my higher power does uh, have my best intentions in mind. And if I can just listen and be aware of the messages and be open to receiving what my higher power's best path is for me, then that's going to be in my best interest. wanted to share on a few more things as I was looking through the step three notes in the Paths to Recovery book. One thing that I saw in there was looking outside ourselves for validation that I'd highlighted in the past. And I absolutely had that issue. I was a workaholic when I was married before my child was born. And so that was one way to kind of hide from things and also get validation from the achievements that I had at work. And I absolutely looked to my spouse for validation, even as the emotional abuse was wrapping up. So that's where it got bad, right? So my own personal validation was tied into what my spouse, the message I was getting from my spouse, and it was up and down with mixed messages and 
manipulation and threats. And so that was not a good place to be in. And especially because for me, my own validation of myself was outside of myself. So I have filed for divorce and going through that process now. And I'm aware of, you know, I need to have my own validation of myself. So I know sometimes I notice and I so this is something that I'm that I pay attention to. And when I notice, you know, let's say I'm at work and someone doesn't respond in a positive way or doesn't respond at all or and I feel the little like oh a little just a little like drop. When I notice that I'm doing that, I have this message that I say in my head. My self-worth comes from me and is not dependent on this situation right here. It is not coming from that person. I define my own self-worth. That does not affect it. And all of a sudden, you know, I can just feel it gone, whatever that little low was. No, I'm good. That, even if that's not about me, and if it is about me, it's not important because I define my own self-worth. So the last thing that I wanted to mention is I have a lot of things that I'm dealing with right now. I definitely have kind of the next phase of like going through the fire and getting that I know I need to get through. And already my life is so much better after a year and a half in Al-Anon than it had been before that. I have some scary stuff coming up in the next month. Just I have to, I'm meeting with my lawyer soon. We're going to be going to court. I'm going to be seeing my soon-to-be ex-husband. We're working through custody issues and from his kind of keeping that abuse in mind. And and also I'm in the process of looking for a new job because it's clear that my current job is just not a positive environment for me. And so all of that stuff is hard and I'm just taking steps, you know, those steps one moment at a time and really many times a day, you know, I just say a little prayer. All right, I'm handing this over to you. You know, as I'm applying for different jobs, I'm not in charge of the outcome. And I tell myself that consciously. All right. The outcome is in my higher powers hands. I'm going to do my own work of applying to jobs and, you know, doing my best, but handing it over and praying for, you know, please give me clarity. Please help me keep my words concise in these discussions that I'm having with potential employers and, you know, just taking baby steps in that way too. So, Thank you so much for all that you do. Your podcast is immensely helpful to me and um, uh, really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you, Kathy, for sharing that. Topic upcoming. Um, Eric has suggested a topic of, well, first he said, how about miracles? I was like, "Um, what does that mean? He was inspired by Mary Pearl talking about her miracle jar, which I think, you know, when, when something happens that seems a miracle to her. She writes it down and puts it in the jar and then she can see like how many miracles are actually present in her life. Mostly small, I'm sure. So he thought, well, what if we ask for your experience of miracles? And then a little bit later he said, well, how about, how about coincidences? You know, what coincidences do you see that, that might be the work of your higher power in your life that inspire you in some way that enlighten you in some way? He sent me a quote from Einstein. There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. So he asks for you to to write or call with your experiences of a coincidence or miracle. Either way, however you want to see it. So let's do that. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734 
704-707-8795. You can call right now, 734-707-8795. We'd love to hear your voice. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. All of those and other ways to share your voice are on our website at therecovery.show slash contact, or go to therecovery.show, click or tap on the menu at the top where it says contact. And if you have experienced strength and hope to share about your experience with dementia in your loved ones and how maybe Elanon has helped you to live with that, love to hear those shares as well. Thank you. So this song, when I just read the lyrics before I even listened to the song, I started crying because it so captured my recent experience. The song is Unraveling by Liz Longley, and I found a short description. The granddaughter of a dementia patient struggles with her grief in this pop song. She is left with boxes and baskets of her grandmother's treasured items, but the old woman's memory is failing. A few lyrics. She looks in my eyes and asks me my name. Every five minutes, I tell her the same. She smiles, but it's cold and dead, and I'm screaming out loud in my head. And damn, that just, uh, that lyric just grabs me so hard because it so captures screaming out loud in my head. Oh my God. got a note from the host of the Recovered Podcast. It, it starts out very starkly. It says, I had to cancel the Recovered Podcast. We have not produced a studio episode for about a month because of technical difficulties. I have a major computer problem. In order for my studio to be operational again, I need to purchase a MacBook computer. So the podcast is in suspension until further notice. Suspension not canceled. Okay. If you have the means to help us out, that would be awesome. No donation is too small. A $5 contribution toward a new computer would be wonderful. Just go to recoveredcast.com slash donation. We will be sure to mention your first name at the top of the next episode when we can. Thank you for all of your help over the years. And it was signed by many of the hosts that have been on the Recovered Podcast. Recovered Podcast has been an important part of my recovery. And as I have said, it's what inspired me to start this podcast. And so I did send a donation. If you have found the Recovered Podcast valuable over the years, I encourage you to help him keep it going because it is really important work. Again, recoveredcast.com slash donation, and I will put that link in the show notes as well. Mary C. writes with thanks. Thank you for this podcast. I listen to it all the time. I'm a runner, and it gets me through my long runs. Thank you for all you do for those of us trying to figure things out. Thanks for those kind words. And another one, just wanted to thank you so much for your great work with the podcast. I can't always get to meetings and really enjoy and benefit a lot from your podcasts as well as the great speakers that you put up. Fondly, Joy. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. And I'm, I'm, it really helps me to hear that, that people appreciate the speakers that I put up when I'm not able to do a, an episode on my own or with a guest. Craig says, thank you for all you have done in keeping this podcast alive. I've only started listening since this summer and have worked my way up to episode 55. 
Episode 47 with Swetha and Kelly leaving hit me hard and I had great empathy with how you sounded during that podcast. I am living with active drinking and have three teenage children who are all very aware of how their mother's drinking is affecting all of us. As I listen to the podcast, I hear so many parallels with your experience and what I am living now. I'm attending a home group now and starting to take on service work. My sanity and serenity are starting to recover, but there are challenging days. Thank you again, Craig. And, you know, what Craig says there, going to meetings, taking on service, participating in the group, is a huge part of my recovery. And if if you haven't done that yet, I really encourage you to do that. Find a meeting, find a healthy meeting, and, and, and go and commit. Another note. Hi, Spencer. I love your podcast, and without it, I probably never would have stepped foot into an Al-Anon meeting. Thank you so much for doing what you do. My question is about infidelity and affairs. My husband, who suffers from alcohol addiction, has over the past year had three affairs with other women and recently attempted a fourth just before going to treatment. I'm finding compassion and forgiveness for the affairs extremely difficult. Would I be enabling his infidelity or perpetuating his betrayals by agreeing to stay married to him, just as he needs consequences of drinking to stop and seek recovery? Is the consequence of divorce necessary to stop the affairs? I have heard several success stories of families that have been saved through AA and Al-Anon, but none that involved numerous affairs. I'm starting to wonder if infidelity is the line between savable and irreparable marriages to alcoholics. Thanks, signed C. I don't have that experience. What I can share about you know, accepting unacceptable behavior. And I think that is unacceptable, but it may be forgivable. Um, It has to come from inside me. It has to be the thing that is right for me. You know, I can't answer that for you. I think the process of inventory, prayer and meditation, talking with a sponsor or other trusted friend and program can be helpful in finding what the right answer is for you. Um, and if the right answer is leave, you know, then that's, that's what you do. Um, I would find it very difficult to stay in a relationship that was where my trust was continually broken like that. I, I, I know that to be true in the end. It, it has to be, has to be your decision. A little bit of, I don't know, obviousness here or something is the consequence of divorce necessary to stop the affairs. Well, if you look at it from a slightly different perspective, if you get divorced, they're no longer affairs, are they? But they maybe are still betrayals of trust and love. Well, they're always betrayals of trust and love if when you're unfaithful to a person that you're in a long-term committed relationship with, whether it's marriage or not. For me, just deciding whether to stay in marriage with active alcoholism was difficult, and I can't imagine how much more difficult it is for you. Thanks for writing. Dear Spencer, I want to thank you so very much for the recovery show. This show, along with meetings and other tools of the program, have helped me in my recovery. I found the podcast with Karen B. extremely helpful, as I too am living with an active alcoholic. Thank you both for that podcast. It really resonated with me. I have a topic suggestion that I would like to request. How to cope with verbal abuse when the alcoholic is drinking. Normally, I physically avoid the alcoholic when he is drinking, thus avoiding the verbal abuse. However, there are times when it occurs. Some tips on how to cope would be terrific. I've been praying for you this past week while you've been on retreat and out east to visit your mom. I hope that both events were peaceful and fruitful. Blessings to you and your wife, Renee, from Michigan. Thank you, Renee, for the the good wishes. And I don't know that I would say that, that my trip to my parents was peaceful. It was necessary. You know, I've, I I did find some some comfort in 
seeing the progress she had made. And by the way, she did come home about a week ago. She did come home and is now recovering at home and getting better, physically at least. So thank you. Thank you for those wishes. How to cope with verbal abuse. Uh, Good topic. Again, if you are listening and you have experience, strength, and hope to share in this area, uh, please do. Call or write. Use the contact page on the website, therecovery.show slash contact to, uh, to share your experience with us. Thank you. Hi there, Recovery Show family. How are you? I've been listening to the podcast and it has helped me tremendously on how to navigate as best I can my wife's alcoholism. She is still attempting to jump in the wagon on truly embracing the fact that she is an alcoholic and that her life isn't going to be the same as far as accepting that she can't drink. In some respects, you can say she is still in denial phase due to some many relapses and incidents, yet she says she is done drinking. I have learned not to get angry, but instead be compassionate and understanding and just ride out the evening or day in which she has had a relapse. She has lied about hidden bottles, and every time as of late she hasn't slipped, another bottle pops out of nowhere, even after last time she promised there was none left. There are deeper psychological issues she is dealing with aside of her alcoholism, but I just don't want to give up. I love her so much, and yet I am so exhausted from all these relapses, and I don't know how much or how long I can do this and see no proactiveness from her part to actually doing the work of the 12 steps and being of service. Thank you again for all you do and the time you take for all these podcasts, Carlos. I feel that, Carlos. I was there for three years or so. As I was in Al-Anon and my wife was in relapse with brief or longer periods of not drinking. And I would say there, there was probably a couple periods of, of actual sobriety, but the relapses came and came and came. And man, yeah, it's hard. I think for me, the key to being there was number one, working my own program, using all the tools of the program to keep my own serenity and really, really letting go of her disease, letting go of taking any, well, responsibility maybe for her recovery, but also not, just not needing, not emotionally needing to see signs of recovery to stay. I won't say it was easy because it wasn't, but that, that's what I did. That's what got me through. And yeah, I did not see signs of recovery. I did not see signs of wanting. She said she wanted to not drink, but she kept drinking. And what I what I really came to understand was that she wasn't in control anymore. And she hadn't been in control for a long time. And every now and then, every now and then, her God gave her some moment of clarity where she could choose to put down the drink and pick up the program. And one time she did that and, and has been sober since. But many other times she did that and it only lasted for a little while. So my thoughts are with you. My prayers are with you. My feelings are with you. Um, only you can decide how long it's possible to stay in that. Christina sent thanks. I just want to say thank you. I started listening to your podcast and love them. I come from a long line of alcoholics. Great grandma, aunt, dad, cousins, and my sister. This is our family disease. I'm learning the steps in the program one day at a time. Loved hearing Mary Pearl's experience on step three. It's just so hard to turn my family over sometimes. Letting go of my grip is when my higher power can take over. Thank you again, Christina. And thank you, Christina, for that pearl of wisdom. Letting go of my grip is when my higher power can take over. I felt that. 
Susan writes, Hi there. I know you've done a podcast on ACOAs before, but I'm hoping you can do more of them, specifically the family dynamics that exist when a child has a parent who is alcoholic and the codependent behavior the child adopts to cope. I'm a middle-aged woman with kids and a husband and just now realizing how many of my problems are due to my codependent behaviors. I play the victim unintentionally. This doesn't mean I just feel sorry for myself. It means I've always limited myself because I don't realize the powers or capabilities I do have. I haven't even been able to perceive or envision the good possibilities because I'm so used to seeing myself as powerless. I'm used to expecting the worst. Right now, due to your podcast, the veil is starting to be pulled back. As a result, I'm hopeful but also struggling with sadness and grief as I realize how I've wasted so many years and alienated people I love. I've been waking up afraid that this is the best that I'll do. Reality is hard to deal with. My problems seem to differ a little from the usual problems a spouse of an alcoholic would have, so that's why I'm hoping you'll do more on this topic. The alcoholic is not in my life and hasn't been for years. It's not him I'm struggling with. It's me. Similarities to people with alcoholics as spouses are are there, of course. I struggle to control others instead of focusing on myself. Fear. Catastrophizing. Is that a word? Everything. I tell you what, it's a word for me. I use it all the time. Thank you for the podcast and the calm that you exude. I hear Spencer's voice when I'm upset, plainly laying out the good and bad so it can be faced and dealt with. Susan. Thank you, Susan. Susan, if you have not yet found a local meeting, whether Al-Anon or ACA, I really encourage you to do so because you will find people who have been there, who are there, who can help you. One of the things that I think this program tells us is I, that I have found, okay, that it is less helpful to regret the things that I did or didn't do in the past. And it's more helpful for me to use this program, to use the tools of the program to help me do differently in the future. Because the past is just that, it's past. But the future is open with possibilities. I'm reminded of the the person who decided to go to med school when they were in their 40s and and you know, their kids said, hey, you know, you're going to be almost 60 by the time you graduate in, in, in 10 years. And, and the person said, well, I'm going to be almost 60 in 10 years, whether I go to school or not. And this way, I'm making a change in my life. I'm doing something I always wanted to do. So start making that change. And man, a couple people left voicemail messages that for whatever reason, one of them kept breaking up. I'd, I'd catch a word here and there and then silence and then a few more words and then silence. And Another one, I think, I don't know, there was a lot of background noise or something, but unfortunately I couldn't understand what you were trying to say. Um, and so thank you for calling. Thank you for putting your voice out there. And I wish I could share what you sent, but I can't. But thank you for calling. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Elsie, Debbie, Laurel, and Mary did. And thank you again, Elsie, Debbie, Laurel, and Mary, for your support. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to the recovery.show, or just listening to us. We are here for you. And the third song that again speaks so much to me. I Know Who He Is by William Michael Morgan. The note 
about this song that I found, not wanting to give in to the reality that his father is going downhill as a result of his battle with dementia. The man in this 2016 country song tells the doctor that he will remember him. He sees his dad the way he used to be, even as changes have taken their heart-wrenching toll. Lyrics. Looking right through me is not at all the way I see him. I don't mind at all remembering for him. He doesn't have to get why I adore him. He doesn't have to know me. I know who he is. And, you know, I find myself having to remember for my parents now. I'm going to put up a playlist of of all the songs that I found on the website at therecovery.show because those spoke to me most strongly, but probably other ones will speak to you. Therecovery.show slash 265. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time